0: like to invite Pastor Tark and Pastor Danny to come forward for a panel session. Come on, give them a hand as they come. (laughs) Grab a seat. Thank you. Welcome to this interview. (laughs) We're glad you came. (laughs) How many people have received something already, as Pastor Mario said? Hasn't it been great? just feel so privileged to have uh, both of you here on um, on, on this day and uh, for this conference and thank you for making yourselves available to be here okay um, <laughs> why don't you uh, just to get to know you a little bit more'd uh, i love to hear about how you decided to get into ministry you know what was it way back when and uh, you were doing whatever it is that you were doing and then something happened that kind of pointed you in the direction of ministry uh, uh, Pasatak, yeah. yeah
1: I think for, for me when I got saved I was I was saved in the charismatic renewal and it was like I was born in the fire <clears throat> and as I've been sharing uh, earlier during the conference that very early on I was kind of apprehended with these two thoughts of harvest lost people and, and nations mm-hmm. and I was, I was sort of so gripped by it and then um, somewhere along the line not too long after that I read the biography autobiography of Hudson Taylor that great missionary to the, you know the China Inland Mission. And I said, God, I wanted to be Hudson Taylor number two, but without all the suffering, he lost a couple of wives and kids. And I said, (laughs) flag that part, but I want his influence. But when I read that book, and I'll probably mention it tomorrow night, I was just so apprehended by a sense of call to the nation. So really for me, after that, I didn't know what it was going to look like, but it was really just a matter of waiting until God was going to open a door. Even though I'd done a law degree and accountancy degree, I was practicing as an accountant at that time. I think from very early on I just knew there was just a it's to, to fulfill who God created to me, me to be I'd have to go you know, some, some way some form of ministry and so really it was an inward driving right from the early days
2: wow. um, I believe that we don't chase the will of God the will of God chases us and uh, never wanted to be in ministry I was a menswear salesman in Victoria Square and uh, happy uh, sometimes we think <laughs> You've got to be unhappy with what you're doing and then God calls you, you know. But I was happy with what I was doing and uh, I believe that we, um, a moving vehicle is easier to steer than one that's standing still. So as we serve God, every Christian's called to serve, then while you're moving and serving, not knowing your God shape when you first start, you just do whatever. I remember when Pastor Andrew Evans asked me to play the drums. I said, I can't play the drums. He said, well, give it a go. You know, a little bit. I said, yeah, I play according to the scriptures. Never let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. (laughs) He said, well, give it a go. And 12 years later, I was still the drummer at Paradise. And and you don't know what you've got until you're just happy to say, God, if you want to embarrass me, go ahead, but I'll do it because I love you. And so you just serve and the will of God comes looking for you. And so for me, I was working in the menswear store and then I was running a home group. I'd go home from the menswear run a home group, and what happened was God began to bless that home group. I didn't know what I was doing, so we'd show Winky Pratney videos, and I'd play the guitar, you know, just a few choruses, and that home group began to grow. Till in a period of a year, about a hundred kids had come through our home, more than that, and we'd go and split up and start multiple campuses. Back then, in home groups, and Four Corners from Channel Two came and did a story on my kids. Uh, going to Bible study on a Wednesday night rather than taking drugs. So then Pastor Andrew goes, well, maybe there's something on his life. Uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. And out of that, the will of God unfolded and confirmation comes. So when he asked me to join the team, I think I shared it when I was here last time, is um, I said, God, you've got to tell me this is you. It's got to be you. And I got on the bus. I, I shared that story here last time. I got on the bus and the bus ticket... Um, Set on the back whatever's around the corner God's already there Uh, I shared it here in the church and Ilianucci sent me a book of all those bus ticket stories that they made a book out of it because one man felt called by God in Adelaide to write sayings that go on the back of a bus ticket and he'd received hundreds of letters from people on how their life changed through the bus ticket and that bus ticket when I said God you've got to speak to me whatever's around the corner God's already there And the next day, I was invited to join the team. So I believe you don't have to chase the will of God. You chase God. Yeah, that's true. And the will of God chases you.
0: Well, uh, over the years, no doubt, there's been people that have significantly impacted your lives. Um, So I was just wondering if you could talk about someone um, that has has, um, ministered to you or significantly impacted your life um, and and why. Just have a little talk about um, someone, yeah that might have impacted your life. I'm trying to think, trying to think of that one.
2: <laughs> you go first, Danny. <laughs> okay, well, I, I was 16 when I joined Pastor Andrew Evans' church and I needed spiritual mentoring. I didn't like me. Uh, you know what migrants are like. We came to come to Australia and we got funny names. You know, you're sitting in school next to a John Smith and you're Alfredo Daniele Guglielmoci. <laughs> They're eating hot dogs, you're bringing all those Italian sandwiches from home with the eggplant and the garlic and they could smell you coming. Now the Aussies love them. They call it focaccia and pay a lot of money for it. But We didn't like being in a strange land where your parents wanted you to hang on to the culture but you couldn't embrace a new culture because you were being disrespectful to your... You just don't, I didn't know who I was. And one man, Andrew Evans, believed in me. It's just amazing that I see something on your life. Well, I don't, but you do. And so to have someone that believes in you and releases you to do things when you think he's he's being bad to you, you need to speak on this. I don't know about that. He goes, that's why I'm asking you to speak on it. I want you to preach on the Holy Spirit. I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm asking you to preach on it because you'll research the subject, you'll wait on God, and you'll learn about the Holy Spirit. So he stretched me and grew me Another man from a distance, because you can have mentors from a distance, although I do have a good friendship with him, is um, um, Frank DiMazio. Uh and Frank DiMazio is one of the greatest Bible teachers yep. in bringing clarity to the Word of God, yep. and so when God gave me patterns, I needed to get them from Scripture, so I'd ring Frank and say, Frank, am I going crazy? You know, do you see this in Scripture? And he goes, no, absolutely, I'll send you my book, <laughs> and, and I got to minister with Frank around the world, and... and and i realized that impartation you see sorry to divert very quickly i went home last night and i had residue from last night's meeting you don't need a lot of connection with people to be impacted but i was so deeply impacted on prayer last night that i laid in bed awake most of the night praying and just feeling something different so impartation can be from a distance too and frank Damasio was a great great influence in that and in the early days and he's here today and I want to honour him Pastor Dennis Slate um, asked me to run the youth side for the charismatic convention all those years ago and I had no idea what I was doing and God brought stuff out there so thank you for believing in us all those years ago Pastor Dennis and really appreciate your input so you know there's I haven't had a lot you don't need a lot Uh, most of my mentors are in the Bible but it's great to have people outside. And I would say Frank and Pastor Andrew.
0: Beautiful.
1: Pastor Tuck. Thanks for giving me time to think there, Danny. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I did
0: it for you. Quite a bit of time.
1: <laughs> I've actually been impacted quite differently, really, from Danny. And I think that's the beauty of it. Everyone's journey is so different. So the first one was I was saved in what was one of the largest churches in the world at the time. And the senior pastor, tragically, he fell years, decades later. But his guy by the name of Neville Johnson, he's still alive today. But he was a man that was a a massive man of the Spirit. And a lot of what I carry today in terms of prayer and of fasting and the the presence of God and, you know, a a love for God really was imparted through his ministry. And his ministry was so powerful that people, people would sit in his meetings and often at the end of the meeting, no one would talk because the Spirit was doing such an impacting work in our lives. And that's why I have a real passion to go beyond messages, that people's lives actually being changed and transformed, because the impartation from his ministry into my life was just, it was nothing less than extraordinary. Now, he was a man ahead of his time in many ways, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd have visitations genuinely of, of angels would visit him. know, not a lot of times, but it happened a number of times. He said one time he was sitting at home in the, in the lounge and the screen just opened up like a, a movie screen and God showed him the events of the last days, of things that were going to take place. And, you know, I was, I was so impacted yeah. oh. by this man that had this... I don't know what's about this conference. I, I just... <laughs> Honestly, it's just, it's messing me up. It really is, i just feeling so much of God's presence in this place. I mean, you gotta chase this conference, man, it is so good. Um, it was just, just so impacted by, by his life and, and his walk with God and you know, he could hear the voice of God. And so I was born into the reality of Christianity, not a religion. You know, it wasn't that you've got to go to church, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to pray. There was, there was something deposited in my spirit. And so that's fashioned my life over, over many years, and I'll always go back to who I am today. A lot of it came through his ministry and the impartation that he had from a But dispar- I virtually never knew the guy. Once or twice I was able to sit down and talk to him, maybe over the years, and uh, it was affected that way. There was one other person that was probably the father of the charismatic move in New Zealand, a guy by the name of Brian Bailey, and uh, he was an, another extraordinary, extraordinary man of God. I mean, oh, God privileges me to, often to meet with leading prophets. Now, this guy, I mean, he was a real deal. I don't know anybody on the planet like him now. But, you know, Jesus would literally appear to him. And, and he would see the, the nail-pierced hands. And he would have visions of the cross. And um, I remember one story he shared one time about um, um, how Jesus appeared to him and his head was just hung down like this. And um, he, see, he inquired of Jesus, what, what was the problem? And Jesus said, Well, you know, there's, there's a heaven and a hell. And he said, My preachers are no longer telling people about the reality of both heaven and hell, especially of hell. And so that, that sort of stuff has deeply, deeply impacted my life. And, you know, trying to stay at the, at the foot of the cross and close to Jesus.
0: Beautiful, wonderful. Uh, one of the big issues for ministers uh, uh, today is burnout. Um, why is that the case? Um, and wh- wh- why do you think some of these issues are happening in ministry today? Um, and what do you do, or what have you done over the years, to protect yourself from some of that?
2: <laughs> okay. I think um, a lot of people do commanded work. Uh, do un- not commanded work, it's not commanded by God. Because ministry is so often defined by just a pulpit, uh, or a particular style in a pulpit, but there's so much diversity in ministry, and if we don't operate in our God shape, we burn out. It's good. It's um, very good. I, I use this thing when I interview, or well, when I used to interview potential staff. And I'd say, um, where do you bear fruit? Where, what are you burdened for? And where are you being stretched? A lot of people are stretched in areas they're not burdened for, Mm. and they break down. Mm. So I believe burnout comes, first of all, from uncommanded work. Mm. I was in the bath one day just getting ready to go to a youth camp, and I said to God, you say your yoke is easy Mm. and your burden is light, but I'm dying. So what's going on? And he said to me, it's not what I want you to do that's burning you out. you're you're doing what people want you to do not what I want you to do and I want a lot less than what people want and so sometimes it's people pleasing that's not God pleasing it's just trying to keep everybody together and keep everybody happy so it's uncommanded work will burn you out and trying to live to people's expectations will burn you out Mm. and I think it's just going to bed at night knowing that you've done all that God's called you to do even though there's much more work to be done And when I was in Bible college in 83, our Bible school principal stood in front of the podium one day and he said, "Um, students, you need to really understand, you need to develop a godly carelessness. And I go, what does that mean? And he said, because having done all, you'll still make people unhappy. Mm. Things won't, but you've got to say, I don't care in the right way of saying that. I've done what God's called me to do. And so for me... I think there's the practical things of having an interest outside of church, you know, like for me it's motorsport, I love cars. That was my next question, so you can keep going. (laughs) Cars and cooking.
0: Food and eating. (laughs)
2: Um, And that's all part of being a Christian. You don't go on holidays from being a Christian and do the other stuff. The other stuff is all part. Because God's interested in every part of us. We used to feel guilty doing things like looking at cars or going to a game because that's, you know, we're spiritual people. We shouldn't be doing that. Um, That's so wrong because God gives us all things to enjoy in their right priority. For me, it's Christ, the church, my connections, cooking, and cars. (laughs) Very good.
1: Pastor Tara. So there's a quote, I heard it from Jay John, I don't know where, the, where it originates, but it says, if your output exceeds your input,
2: yep. right. then
1: your upkeep yep. will be your downfall. Wow.
2: Very good. Wow.
1: So I think what happens for, for many of us who are in the ministry or in serving God or whatever level, we're in it because we want to serve, we yep. want to do, we want to bless, and so we are output, we're output people. Because that's what we're designed to do. That's what we're called to do. That's what we want to do. But we keep doing the output and the output and the output. But we forget that you've got to be getting the input at the same time. And if you're not getting enough input into your life, so ultimately output is gonna crush you and they're gonna cause you to to burn out and to lose your way. And so you have to learn how do I get the input into my life that I need to sustain me. And that can be a spiritual input in many ways and also a natural input. So one of the great scriptures for me that I think has kept me going for a long time is uh, Isaiah, which says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, and uh, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. And so waiting upon God, you know, one of the statements I often quote is that the greatest, the work of God is the greatest enemy to the worship of God. Because we're so busy working for God that we lose our time to worship God. And it's a worshiping God that replenishes us and renews us. You know, the greatest prophecy I've ever been given, I think, because I've been on the track for a little while now, is that um, the, the word was, you're going to be like Elijah and you will outrun the chariot. It's going to be supernatural strength to do what God has called me to right. do. But I come back to they that wait upon the Lord. That's where you get that renewal. And I find that during this conference, I've had more input than output. And I'm going to go away refreshed. Thank you all so very much for that, by the way. Appreciate that. And so that's on the spiritual side. On the practical side, for me, I just love golf. Any golfers here today? Yeah, okay. God bless you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just wondering why the anointing wasn't a bit stronger in this place. It, it's just not enough people who play golf, you know, chasing this white ball. So whenever I'm in Auckland at home with my son-in-law, Sam, we go out and play golf a lot of the time. So I really enjoy that. I also really enjoy reading books. So depending on what book it is, but uh, this will really excite you at the moment. I'm my fourth book on fasting at the moment. <laughs> I'm just reading these books, it's come my way and I wish they hadn't come my way because they're so challenging, they're so smashing me upside down and I know God's calling me to fast and I wish I'd never found those books but just listen to this point. Because it's God, even though I don't like what I'm reading, it's replenishing me. It's refueling me and it's filling me because man shall not live by bread alone but every word that comes from the mouth of God, a word from God, replenishes renews and refreshes
0: you wonderful um while we're talking about you know uh devotional life and so on you both have spoken a fair bit about prayer and your own time with god uh, just be nice to kind of get a a window into your own devotional life what that looks like on a typical day or perhaps uh, on a typical uh, week what what that would actually look like
1: okay i'll go first this time um for me I don't know whether it's my heritage or what it is but I think I'm a reasonably disciplined person. And I think prayer and a devotional life a lot of that comes down to discipline. We all want to pray. We all want to read God's word, but it sort of gets squeezed out. I always say to myself and to others if prayer is not your top priority, it'll get lost. If it's second, third, or fourth, you just won't get to it. The devil will make sure you don't get to it. So for me, it's, you know, probably for the last 20 or 30 years, you know, I'll get up in the morning, have breakfast, get ready, and all the rest of it, and then I'm straight into prayer. And so, you know, and I'll spend a good length of time I can in prayer, and then I'll go go to the—after that, I'll do that for a good amount of time. Then I'll go into the Word of God. And then I'll come, so I do that in the morning, gets me going, and then often I'll come back in the evening, I'll come back to a bit more of the in the Word of God, a bit more time in prayer. And so I've just established these disciplines in my life that it's almost like, I don't even have to think about it. I don't think, oh gosh, I need to pray. Oh gosh, I've forgotten to pray. It's like, you know, actually we're all more disciplined than we realize. Do you know that? How, how many of you are disciplined enough to eat three meals a day? Give me a wave, yeah? Is it, yeah? Yeah, most of you, so you're very, very disciplined people. You know, we think we're not disciplined. We actually are. We're just disciplined at what we like doing. You know, it, all of us are disciplined enough to get up in the morning and put clothes on. Just checking. <laughs> just checking. So, so you, you, we are disciplined. And I think that's, that's one of the things. And also I think the important thing is that it, it, you, you get to a point where it's beyond a duty. You know, I, I used to struggle to read the Word of God this, in the days of Noah, way back. And, and I cried out to God, you know, you have not because you ask not. I said, God, would you give me a, a hunger for your Word? And one day God just said, okay, it's yours. From that day, decades ago, I've had a hunger for God's Word. And so when, when you have that hunger and when, with prayer, when you know it's power, when you know it works, you don't have, no one has to tell you to do it because you know it works. No one has to, for me, I have that hunger for, so my, my, I'm just one of those people, I know not everyone's the same, but I just thank God, he's blessed me with that discipline in that area of my life, there's some other areas I'm not so disciplined, when there's food put in front of me, I can't stop, is anyone else like that, you know, the worst, worst thing is a lazy Susan, that's the worst thing, because it just keeps going round and round, we had one last night, thanks to Danny, and um. He organized it all for And you just keep eating and eating. So I'm disciplined in prayer and in the Word. when it comes to food, I've lost my
2: discipline. So yeah, you, can you can't tell. have it in every area. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Danny. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm probably the other way around because I can't sit still for too long. And so last night I was deeply challenged by God to spend times kneeling before the Lord. And that was a word for me personally. Because I find that hard because i just got to keep moving and, you know... Um, I do so much talking that God has to wait such a long time to in, <laughs> didn't want to interrupt. So I change my praying differently now where I wake up every morning with expectation. Wow. And what I do is I expect every day for God to talk to me mm-hmm. through the word. So I come with expectation, then I do meditation, and then I pray. Start, no, no, that doesn't start with E. Yeah, but it, fin- but it <laughs> all finishes with Asian. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You've got, to, you've got to move it around a bit. This, yeah, these are all Asians. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> all, right. So, all right. So I come with expectation. <laughs> then I meditate on what I'm reading, and that's where I get all my messages from. And then I write in my journal the application to me personally. Then I go for a walk around where I live, and I prayer walk. And then I pray that word into me because for me a lot of that revelation is oh that's a good that's gonna be a good sermon but if it doesn't become a sermon to me then it doesn't become a sermon to anybody else it's just information and so what I do is I expect every day for God to speak I say God you called me to do this and I don't know how to do it so you're the boss you're gonna have to tell me how to do it so as I read I meditate I meditate and then I write the application and then I take that on my phone and written down and i walk and I go, God, let that happen in me. Let me forgive. Let me do those things before I ever share it with anybody else. And so I preach to me. Uh, but I've got to let God speak first. Otherwise, I have a prayer list of all the things I want him to do and uh, for me. So I'd rather him open up what he wants to do, and then I pray that through. And from there, I pray for my family and all the other things that I feel god calls me to pray for but i feel like i've got to go to another level you sort of messed with me last night so uh, there are times of just honoring jesus on your knees and surrender and and uh, sometimes just sitting there and not talking which yep. is hard for me mm-hmm. um is and just being silent and just because I, I was raised under tim hall and unless you're praying 100 a hundred miles and hour shouting like crazy you're not on fire for god yeah, yeah, yeah and so i never thought silence was part of the yeah, solitude yeah, yeah, yeah. and that yeah. quiet time yeah so but you, it changes I think yeah. for me my prayer life changes uh, in the stage that I'm in yeah, it's good. can I just add a couple of
1: things there sure. it, it, three things one if you can do it keys to praying if you can have a fixed time right. and a fixed place yeah. if you can lock that in somewhere you know at this time you know, it can vary slightly but you, you know the time and the place and the other thing is pray until you pray mm. so when you start praying, you've got to go through, you know, sometimes I have to go through 20 minutes of distraction. My mind's here, it's there, I've got to do this, I've got to make this phone call, the text comes, someone rings, whatever. But, but I fight my way through it. And I, and I just keep going through. Some people will give up. the say, oh, well, this is going nowhere. No, 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 the devil wants to stop you. You know, he, he's, he's the weapon of mass distraction, you know. so And he will distract you. But if you can just pray, Until you pray, it's almost like you push through and you get to a place where, oh wow, now I'm actually starting to pray. That may take five minutes, may take 10 minutes, it may take 20 minutes, it doesn't matter, but you just keep going. Once you've learned to push through that barrier. So now when I start to pray, if the first 15 minutes are useless, it doesn't bother me. I just keep going, but eventually, and sometimes I pray and I actually never get to pray. Like I just, it just didn't happen. You know, just didn't get any breakthrough, nothing. I don't think I really was that successful in my praying today. But I'll still be back there the next day. That's right. Because so heaven still heard me pray, even though I didn't feel that anything much was happening. Never establish or judge your prayer life on how good it feels. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, great. it's not who's praying that counts, it's who's listening that counts.
2: That's yeah, so good.
0: yeah it's good. that's good. Fantastic. Awesome. Danny, you, you just, just cycling back, you talked about journaling, or you've talked about to that with me anyway um can you talk us a little bit through what journaling looks like for you yeah. and um yeah how you do that
2: i've i've been journaling for about 35 years now so i've got every journal at home where someone taught me to journal and i, I thought how do you do that and so for me it's got to be simple and it is those three things i expect god so say god i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna take i usually take a book of the bible uh, while I've had the cancer treatment, I've done the entire book of Acts. So I've taken every chapter of the book of Acts and I'll say, Lord, show me something in the book of Acts that I've never seen before that works for me right now. And so what I do is I read and I write what I'm reading, in my, put it in my own words. So in a journal, so I've got lots of journals. I, I used to do it on the phone a bit, but uh, I find actually writing with a pen in, in, in a journal, um, you retain so much of it. And so I try to do a book of the Bible at a time, then I take a break, I might do uh, just random a little bit, but generally it's a book of the Bible, I've just done the book of James, I'm doing Galatians right now, and what I do is I just do one chapter, just one chapter uh, per morning and what I do is I just read it and read it and read it and just one word will stand out or something else and then as I'm writing all the stuff starts to flow that I didn't know was there and so revelations coming as you're writing it's a bit like start writing and the rest will come and so but I used to be so scared that God might not say anything so what I did was well if God says nothing I'll just write what I've read and just just write it God you're saying this to me out of this verse help me do it or whatever and not look for something deep that no one's ever said before but just what stands out. But I'm shocked now at the nearly everyday stuff comes out I've never, ever seen before. Mm. And you find what happens is then I write it down and I feel that's a word from God for me. And then when I'm counselling people and talking to people, edible comes out again. It's like putting stuff in the computer and out it comes. Yeah. But it's, you don't have to write a lot. But I only do one chapter at a time mm-hmm. and I stay in that chapter yeah. and I work my way through the Bible.
0: It's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, One of the challenges for people in ministry is the balance between ministry life uh, and home life. Um, I know we often talk about that. Could you talk to us a little bit about how you guys have managed that? I know you're in a different stage of your life, but can you talk a little bit about how you have or how we should manage that kind of balance?
2: Mm. (laughs) You want to go first?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, If you're really smart, you just have one kid. As opposed to nine or five or six or whatever it might be that some people have. So seriously, it's been a lot easier um, for myself. With uh, and, and also, I've been very fortunate with my daughter, Jodie. We d- we've had a, a phenomenal relationship right from the very beginning. So it's not been a lot of upkeep or maintenance. Except when you go shopping, it gets very expensive. (laughs) She has uh, expensive tastes. uh, But that's all right. We're happy to do that. So that's been good. I think for me, the biggest challenge probably was in the earlier years when I took over Church Unlimited, uh, we were fortunate and unfortunate to have explosive growth. And so, um, like we, you know, the church would double and then double, you know, within months kind of thing. And, and so we were chasing our tail all the time. So in my early years, I was, as a, in, as a senior pastor, I was tending to work seven days a week just to keep ahead of the game. But in doing so, I found I began to neglect um, relationally at home. And um, no problem with my daughter, it was, you know, she was at school most of the time anyway, or whatever, but with my wife, and so I, I really did neglect that side of it, and, you know, whether the energy goes, the power flows, yeah, wow. and we didn't, well, I wasn't putting energy into uh, my marriage and relationship, and so we went through some pretty stormy, stormy times that weren't, I'm not just talking about for, for days or weeks, I'm talking about for months, possibly even years, where we were, we battling. on mean, it was—it was never going to be like a separation or anything like that. But it just wasn't good, and still having to preach and all the rest of it at the same time was a pretty challenging thing. one, one of my? Do you want to? I'll give you one of the worst experiences I ever had. And I hope, Danny, you may never have had this. But you know, pastors and their wives always sit at the front in the same place, right? And so you're there. And there one day, it was so bad. Yep. Yeah. She was sitting about 20 rows back <laughs> with one of her friends. And I was I had to get up and preach. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, this, you know, w- this marriage is in trouble. <laughs> my wife's way down. Everyone's probably wondering why on earth is she sitting back there? And I'm sitting up the front alone, empty seat next to me, you know. I gotta get up and so that that was a, a low point or a really a I hope it never happens to any of you Passes, man. It, is, it was a nightmare getting through that. But it was my own fault. It was my own fault. I, I neglected, and I didn't, I didn't, one of, the, one of the mistakes I made, this is marriage counseling here now for you guys, all right, I didn't work out what she needed. So I just lived my own style of how I thought a marriage should be without recognizing, well, no, no, she's, every plant is different. And you've got to work out what that plant needs to keep it energised, appreciated, valued and loved. And it probably took me too long to sort all that sort of stuff out. So I didn't, didn't overly... I'm probably not going to write a book on marriage. Am I. Am I. Go, Danny. I'll tell you my story. Um, this is not good. This is not good. Just, just lie, Danny. Just lie. No, 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 no.
2: We're going to skip to the next question straight away. <laughs> My daughter, Danielle, is about, she's 36 now. When she was 11, we'd just moved down south, and I had no staff. And, uh, you know, you get a phone call from a lady who says, if you don't come now and my son dies, God's going to hold you responsible. Oh,
1: dear.
2: Uh, Total manipulation, attack. I'm the only guy on staff We've just started the church. It's begun to grow. And no volunteers. I'd unlocked the church. and, and, And I hardly saw my family come home late and often grumpy, you know. Uh, You know, I wake up grumpy, I give her breakfast and then I go to work. No, no, no. Uh, That's not true. That's not true. And um, my daughter makes an appointment to come and see me. She's 11 years old. And she sits in my office and she starts to cry and she goes, Daddy, if you were to die tomorrow, I wouldn't know anything about you. And I just fell apart. To be honest, I got angry at God. I thought, you've called me. I don't have any help, and I make you happy. I make the family upset. If I make the family happy, I make all the people in the church upset because I'm not there when they need me. And I got really upset, and I, and, I calmed down, and I said, God, what do I do? And he said, there's only one priority, and one priority is God first. Now, if God is first and your family needs you that he gave you, he will tap you on the shoulder and say, you need to stop what you're doing and be with your family right now. Rather than God, family, church, and every priority list is different. He said, but when we put God first, you realize your wife is not outside the kingdom. Mm -hmm. All those people that you're called to minister to, your wife and kids are in that kingdom. You don't go and do the kingdom and then come home to the rest. And so what happened was I, I came home one night and the kids wanted to play with me. And, and I just wanted to lay down and watch the news and I said God I just want to watch the news <laughs> you know and I just felt this absolute rebuke from God he says no matter how tired you are you don't leave the kingdom and come home right. you come home to the kingdom yeah, yeah, and yeah. these are, these are the, my children yeah. and so I started playing with the kids and God said you've got to die to self you just got to die to self and I started playing with the kids and, and it was tough and can I be brutally honest today um the way we're raised as kids affects the way we parent sometimes. Yeah, it's true. And I didn't know how to play with the kids. As an only child, not having siblings, I loved having the excuse of busyness because I just didn't know what to do with them. And that was a brokenness inside of me. And I pushed and I pushed because I felt God really rebuked me. And a couple of nights later, I came home and Sharon said to the kids... <laughs> Why don't we let Daddy lay down on the couch and watch the news and we'll play with him afterwards. He's had a hard day at work. Just let him have a rest. And God said to me, see, when you to self, I see everything. And so God used her to make sure I had my rest. And I realized that it's one priority. And if God can speak to us about vision and if he can speak to us about sermons, he can surely speak to us. Your son needs you now. You know, and because I used to go to Tea Tree Plaza sometimes to go and buy something for my kids on a Wednesday. And board members from the church would see me at Tea Tree Plaza and go, we didn't know Wednesday was your day off. Oh, wow! So back then there was an expectation that you only have one day off. And if you as a pastor are found doing anything outside of church any other time during the week, you're lazy and you're not doing the work at church. And I realized I had to break from that. And realize that God knows what I do. I don't have to be accountable to everybody. But when God taps me on the shoulder and say, Sharon needs you right now. You need to make that a priority. That's God's priority. Yeah. And so I just tried to be more sensitive to what God was saying, not people's expectation. And, you know, my daughter pray for her. She still needs to come home to Jesus in a stronger way, I think. She loves him, but she's confused over her brother's death. And she's confused over her brother's brokenness. And, but now I've got the strongest relationship with her because we just cook together. And we just, I just love her unconditionally. And I know God will do the rest. And, you know, I don't have to be embarrassed to say to you today, well, my daughter's on a journey. Because we used to think if all our kids aren't perfect, well, God was the perfect parent. And look at what his kids did, Adam and Eve. I'll slap them when we get to heaven. <laughs> I think one
1: of the things that's really in church life that's important for us to understand is that although we are preachers and in the pulpit and what we call in the ministry, we are no different from everybody else. We have the same emotions. We have the same feelings. You know, we, we, we eat food like you eat food. We do all the things you do. And I think sometimes an expectation is put on us from people that we, you know, well, you're you're a man of the cloth, you should be this, that, and the other thing. And that's actually more destructive because then you go underground and you start to cover things up and you pretend things are better than they actually are. So we're we're just the same as you guys. We have the same struggles in our homes, our families, and all yes. the rest of it, like everyone else. And I think that's, I think that's why honesty from the pulpit is so important, yes. because it's actually very liberating for everybody. Absolutely. We're in this together. Yes. Hey, well, let's not judge anybody. Whether, whether it's the past having a struggle in his family or the doorman, it doesn't matter. We're all equal anyway at the end of the day in the kingdom of God.
0: Pastor Danny, this is a question for you, but certainly Pastor Tyke, feel free to um, have some input onto it too. But we all know that you've been through some challenges in recent years uh, with the death of your son and your own health and a few other situations as well. Um, How do you reconcile um, our preaching and faith that God can heal and protect and uh, do great things and, and so on? Um, with your own experiences and I think it's really yeah. really nice to hear some of that yeah. because yeah. many of us in our congregations or many people in our congregations yes. you know do pray and at times things yeah. don't happen people don't get healed and so on yeah. so it'd be really nice to yeah. just hear I know you've already spoken about it on yeah. a number of occasions but yeah. just uh, you know spend a couple of minutes yeah. and just uh, yeah download that well, I think some
2: because I'm an emotional person and I feel things my heart used to break when we'd go to these big crusades and people in wheelchairs would still go home in their wheelchairs yeah and, you know, you think we can't just ignore that. You know, we're we, you know. so I felt some of the Pentecostalisms that we've had over the years are out of balance. And I've always believed that. We used to have crusades at Paradise and I used to go home saying to Sharon, I don't think I'm saved. Because, you know, people would throw away their walking sticks until the next crusade, buy a new walking stick and come back again. Mm. You know, and people are getting healed at every crusade. So how do you have that balance and not throw the baby out with the bathwater? And for me is... Um, God is the God of the universe. He can do anything, but we do live on a fallen planet. And when people say we're not part of the curse, yes, we're not part of the curse spiritually because our spirit is renewed. But if we weren't part of the curse on this planet, we should never age from the moment we get saved. Mm. The moment you become a Christian, you should stop aging because aging is part of the curse. We should never die. Mm. And there's people I know today that go, I'm never going to die, I'm going to get raptured. You know, and I was, you know, I was going to throw in a joke, but I won't. But um, And so I have balanced it with God can do anything, and we pray for healing, but we also trust his sovereignty. And God is sovereign, and we live from eternity. We don't live for eternity. So all the healing will be there in eternity. What do you say to a family that loses a child? What do we say to that girl that died in, a, in overseas that I talked about the other day, 35 years of age? But you see, if we see things from eternity, Mm. do you know I'm going to be alive a lot less without Chris Mm. than he was alive? I'm not going to live another 39 years. Mm. And yet it felt like five minutes when he died. It felt like he was only born the day before. Mm. 39 years, 18 years married, four children, gone like that. Mm. But it'll be the same at 90 be the same at 80. It's going to be just like that in the light of eternity. I'm going to be without him a lot less. And so what I do is I believe, this is weird. I actually have more faith to pray for the sick now than ever before. Wow. I really do. And do you know, I've prayed for over 2,000 people that have lost their kids. Wow. You know, it's just been, you know, unbelievable mm. the stuff that's happened. And yet I still, I don't believe whatever will be, will be. I've got faith. I don't understand why it happened the way it did with Chris. But I know God is sovereign and he's all just. There's no unjustness in God. There's nothing unjust about him. And so there's a trust in the sovereignty of God. But while there's life, let's pray for healing. And so I got a phone call this morning after last night's message from Peter Nyutta, who owns the property next door. And I brought him to church here last time I came. And Peter's in hospital right now. He said, could you get the guys to pray for me? He said, and I'll be praying for all the sick people that are there today. Uh, A few months ago, he asked me to teach him how to pray. And later in my message, I'm going to read his prayer to you. And, uh, and and, And after last night's message, this guy's not walking with Jesus yet. You know, he's in stage four cancer. But I said, you know what, Peter, we're going to pray for your healing. While there's life, there's hope. I don't care what the doctors have said. We're going to pray for your healing. But if not, you win anyway, because I'm going to get eternity working in your life. And he says, I want that. And so I believe he's probably given his heart to the Lord without praying the prayer, but we'll get it sealed, no problem. And so it's the balance between sovereignty and, and just trusting God in whatever season, but also because God's answered so many prayers. He's done so many miracles. The call of God was so authentic. How can I throw away all this that I know about God because of this I don't understand? You know, and so what I do is I, do, I lean on what I do know about God and what I don't know I trust him with it and I always have a positive faith posture to pray for the sick oh well didn't heal my son why should I pray for anybody else and you know Sharon can I say this she's not here this morning (laughs) she's an incredible devotional Christian she's never blamed God she's never gone into depression and to see her get up and speak at her own son's funeral about her trust in God. But it's one thing to say it in a moment of emotion at a funeral. Mm. She lives it every day. Mm. You know, she gets up, there's music playing in the background. She's worshipping God, but she's private, very quiet, very private in the background, not once blame God. Mm. And so she'll pray for people as if Chris had been healed. And you think, I don't know what I would have done if I'd had a wife that had gone into depression. Mm. You know, what are we going to do here? So I'm very grateful. Yeah, Yeah, beautiful.
0: Beautiful. Pastor Stark, if there's anything you'd like to add as well. Yeah, I
1: think we need to, you know, the finite mind will never understand the infinite God. Yeah. And we've got to come to terms with the fact we're not going to always understand um, how things are and why some certain things happen. And I, I think we've got to come to terms with the fact that there will be some prayers that are not answered. Mm. And there will be some questions you have that God will not answer. Mm. And you ask God, why did that happen? And he's not actually going to tell you. I could have gone into another story where we've be, been through some very challenging times, especially when we were Philipp- uh, missionaries in the Philippines. I won't go into that story right now. But things happened there that were, were bruising and crushing for us. And I, would, I cried out to God and I said, God, what, what was that about? Because I knew we were in the center of God's will. And God has never answered that question for me. And so it's a mystery. It's a mystery. And I talk about living with mystery it takes faith to live with mystery. In other words, it takes faith to live with things that you can't understand. You don't know why that happened. Yeah. There's no reasonable explanation why that should have happened. things like the stuff that um, Danny's been through. But we all go through different things. You know, you don't have to go through something at the level of Danny. I'm not minimizing what he went through to have those same questions. And to have those same massive struggles within your heart, people can get bitter over some small issue that didn't go right in their lives. So the reality is there's going to be unanswered questions. There's going to be unanswered prayers. There's going to be circumstances that you don't understand this side of eternity. But I'm going to say this much. When you get to the other side, it's all going to make sense. God will explain it, and you will then say, yeah, God is fair. God is just. God is good. God is kind. God is loving. God's got my back. But what I suggest to you is say it now. Because it's going, to be, it's going to be explained, and you will say it then. But let's learn to say it now, regardless of what we go through in our lives. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, this is a question for you, Pastor Tarkin. Last night, you definitely referred to it. I've heard you share on a number of occasions on the subject of revival. Um, what do you believe are the keys to revival? And what, what do you think um, are the things that we need to do to let that become a reality in our day and age, because if there's something that we need, certainly in our nations, it's a strong move of God. Yeah,
1: I think one of the things that we, the first thing we need to really understand is the importance of revival. The history of Christianity has always been the same. The early church, there was a revival. Then the church goes into decline, backslidden, and then we get another revival that awakens the church again and then it goes into decline again and gets backslidden. And then God sends another revival to awaken the church. It, it's always been the way. And I think in the Western world today, we're in that slump again where the church is at a low ebb. Call it backslidden. Call it lukewarm. Call it what you like. And the only answer that historically has ever been is a revival. It's, it's you know... In the Western world today, we have the finest preachers on the planet. You can go on and you you read, you listen to them, soon and you think, "Man, that is outstanding." But my argument is that is all is this is that all that preaching is making no difference. It's not reviving the church. It's not so. If preaching was the answer, then the church should be alive and well and on fire and changing community. It's not so. I think the first thing I've heard about in revival is you have to understand what the condition currently is truly like. You have to assess it accurately, because a lot of people you talk to will say, well, we're actually in revival. What a load of nonsense, you know. We're not in revival at all. So that means they don't have an understanding of what revival is. Revival is a church that is actually absolutely ablaze with God, is impacting its community, impacting society, and the percentage of Christians is rapidly increasing in the country. That's not happening in Australia, New Zealand, UK, or in America, we've we've flatlined. So we need a, So that's the first thing we have to have a, a deep conviction that we actually need revival. Yeah. If you don't have that deep conviction, you're not going to then do anything that goes after that revival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So secondly, I think we've got to start preaching about it. Yeah. You'll never you'll never get what you don't preach about. So. I didn't get a chance in this conference. I would have loved to have had, had done a message on, uh, on revival, but I didn't get to. But you've got to start speaking. Like, you get what you preach. You preach healing, get people healed. Yeah. You preach salvation, you get people saved. You yeah. preach filled with the Spirit, you get people filled with the Spirit. Yeah. You preach revival, you're going to start sowing the seeds of a revival. So those are the first two things. The third thing, obviously, is you have to pray. You know, the first revival in any revival is a revival of prayer. Yeah. And that's probably my greatest passion that I would carry in my ministry around the world yeah. is we've got to get the church praying. Yeah. Yeah. And we preached on that last yeah. night. And we've got, we've got to keep on preaching it until yeah. people get it. Yeah. You know, people hear it, but they don't get it. Yeah. We've got to get people to get it. And I think some of that did happen last night. So I think that's a real important thing. Another thing I think that's really important here, Joe, is faith. yes. You gotta believe that revival is possible. And God graciously, 93, four and five, gave me these massive encounters that I had that, with God that absolutely, totally transformed my life. And He gave me two major downloads into my life. One was the reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came so real, I felt I could touch Him, you know, just as a person. But there was a massive download of faith. I believe revival is possible. I believe we're going to see revival in New Zealand. We're going to see it in Australia. We're going to see it in the Western world. It is going to happen. And I'm going to see it with my own eyes. I really, I believe God has shown me that. But you have to believe that. Because if you don't believe that, you're not going to pray for it. You're not going to exercise, you're not going to reach out for it. of course, prayer, can I add fasting? You know, uh, Danny, you know, I would have been fasting these three days during this conference, but Danny's got me eating the whole time instead. So, the, the, the re, the, yeah, he's got prayer and feasting. I'm into prayer and fasting. Uh, <coughs> it's just a slight difference in our callings. Danny, so... You know, I mean, if we'd done the three days of fasting, we would have had a revival by now, but because of Danny, we just haven't managed to get there this time. But, uh, but Danny, we love you anyway, and we'll still eat your food, all right? And I hope we're having a good meal tonight, all right? So, You're not, yeah. So, nothing. Yeah.
2: You can fast and we'll feast around. Yeah, too. yeah.
1: But fasting, I believe, is, is an absolute key. To, I never got onto this shit. Can I just mention this very quickly? Why fasting is so important? Adam and Eve, in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, heaven on earth, they ate themselves out of the presence of God, the power of God, the authority of God, the rulership of God, relationship with God. They ate when they shouldn't have and what they shouldn't have. Fast forward thousands of years And this last Adam would come. Jesus would come. And for 40 days, he would go without food and restore for you and I the presence of God, the power of God, the voice of God, and the relationship with God. We lost it through food. We get it back by going without food. That's the power of fasting. If you think about society today, What's our big God? Sorry, not getting at you here now, Danny, because I'm into this. It's all about food. We live our lives around food. All the lights are blazing. Eat, 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 eat. And so we do. I do. We all do. But God is shouting from heaven, no, fast, fast, fast. We're allowed to enjoy our food. I love my food. In fact, it's harder for me to fast than anybody in this room because I have to fast from Curry. And curry is the finest food on the planet. The Italians completely missed it on that one. And I had a vision not long ago at the marriage supper of the lamb. It was chicken curry. was the main course.
0: Well, it's it's so been you great to have Tark at the for conference. Heaven. Thanks a lot for coming. See you later, Tark.
1: <laughs> you want to get ready for heaven, you better start eating some curry. Because it ain't going to be spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> so, fasting is another important key as beautiful.
0: well. Yeah.
2: Danny, did you want to add anything? Only that the Italians are going to be running the kitchen. Anyway,
0: <laughs>
1: <so>. <laughs> and you will be the head chef for sure. Uh,
0: beautiful. Uh, I'm just going to wrap this up. So um, one other question. If you could talk to a 25-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give him? If you could speak to a 25-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give him? I think for myself,
1: I'd keep it very simple, and I'd just say to that person, assuming they're a Christian, I'd just say, get as close to God as you can. Because I think everything else flows out of a relationship with yep. God. When we don't have a relationship with God, we get completely messed up. Mary and Martha. Martha's running around, you know, the house, in Jesus' house, doing this, that, and the other. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, Martha complains to Jesus, you know, that I'm doing, I'm doing all the work and she's just sitting at your feet. And Jesus said, no, Martha. You're worried and troubled about many things, but Mary has chosen the best part. And I have a sermon, an entire sermon, which talks about Mary was making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. And so often we end up doing things that Jesus has never asked us to do, and that's what really messes us up. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let's not complicate this. Get close to Jesus. If you do that, he'll take care of the rest. That would
2: be my advice. Yeah, yeah. um, I, th- I think for me is um, you know God doesn't love you because of what you do mm. he loves you because of who he is and, mm. and, and it's being a human being not a human doing mm. uh, so many times it's our achievements um, uh, I'd probably try a lot less to <laughs> impress the people I love and, and I want them to be happy with me you know, I think I've always looked for affirmation because of my personality and I'm a feelings person. And I think, you know, I do come from a culture where a lot of people outside our culture think that parents are constantly telling their kids they love them. Yeah, when you're two and three, they pinch your cheeks and they, and, and they kiss you and they love you and they hug you. But I was raised with behave and you'll be loved. So the thing is, there's that conditional love. You do the right thing, you'll be loved. Not you're loved just because you're loved. And so in doing that, you sort of, I grew up always trying to do the right thing. And it came from conscientiousness, but it also came from insecurity. Mm. And to find your security in Christ, and it doesn't matter, people do matter, but it doesn't matter what people think if you know you're doing the absolute right thing. I would find rest in that a lot more yeah. than I did when I was 25.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Well, would you give uh, Pastor Tark and Pastor Danny a, a big uh, open-up in- our hearts and lives. Um, why don't we stand together? Pastor Danny, why don't you pay for, pray for Peter uh, as we wrap yeah, up this session? Right. And let's pray for him. Let's join together in faith uh, as we pray for Peter and Uyuda, yeah. really believe for a healing. Yeah. And, yeah. Amen.
2: He's in hospital right now and he knows you're going to be praying. Wow. And he goes, but I'll be praying for all the sick people that are in the room. That's what he said. So if you're sick and you need a miracle, will you lift up your hand as well today, wherever you are? If you need a miracle, if you see a hand raised, just put a hand on a shoulder and let's just believe a miraculous breakthrough in people's lives. What a great way to finish a conference. We've got one more session, but to see that happen. Father, we pray for Peter today. Yeah. We pray for Maria. We pray for more than anything that they'll have a revelation of you. Father, Let that happen real soon. And I pray that they'll come to an appreciation of heaven and the gospel. But Father, there's still hope. And we pray for healing. We pray for that cancer to stop growing in his body. And we just pray that the doctors will be amazed at what you've done. And so we pray for Peter right now and everybody else in this room that needs a miracle today. Uh, We pray for Pastor Adrian Gray today that's going through a cancer treatment. Lord, we pray for any other people that we're related to that are going through these issues. Be the healing God today. We trust you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. We really do. And we pray for your intervention and your healing power to move in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Give Pastor Danny and Pastor Tuck another (laughs) hand.